Welcome to Every Texan Talks, the legislative update hosted by Every Texan, where our policy experts and political insiders cut through the noise at the Texas legislative session, break down what's happening at the Capitol, and why Texans should care. The 88th Texas Legislature recently hit its halfway mark of the regular session, and this Thursday is Budget Night, a big debate set right before the Easter weekend in classic ledge fashion. Hello and welcome. I'm Muddy Sabono, CEO at Every Texan, and today we're talking Budget Night. The legislature's most important job is setting the budget for the state over the next two years. Actually, the only thing it's required to do under the Texas Constitution during session is to pass a balanced budget. Luis Figueroa taught me that. (laughs) And the last week, the House Appropriations Committee signed off with a 23-3 party line vote on the 2024-25 budget proposal, which spends about $303 billion over two years, and they opted to send it to the full House for final approval this week. And this year it was a historic year because legislators had a, a cash balance to invest in the priorities of, of Texans, a kind of a historic amount um, as part of the so-called budget surplus. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, highly recommend that you go to listen to episodes one and four of the podcast this season to get the full context for this particular episode. Those episodes are a great backdrop on the budget surplus and proposals that are going to frame the debate in the House this week. Uh, So with us today to talk about the House proposal um, set for Thursday and what the legislature should be thinking about if it wants to invest in the true priorities of Texans, are our Chief of Legislative Affairs, Luis Figueroa, the Director of Community Engagement and Advocacy for Every Texan, Katie Marty Light- Martin Lightfoot, and Senior Fiscal Analyst, Shannon Holbrook. Happy Monday, you guys. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah, yeah, thanks for having us. Great to be here. So Luis, let's start with a quick refresh. How does the budget get made each session? Yeah, absolutely. So the way it basically works is a, it's a, you know, people think about it only in the session, but in reality, the budget is a two-year cycle, um, and it starts um, uh, you know, figuring out um, what the agencies want. They create these things called LARs, Legislative Agency Request, and that forms the basis of the initial budget that the legislative, um, uh, the LBB, the, legis- the, the Legislative Budget Board creates. Um, and that kind of forms the, the framework. And then the beginning part of the session, as you mentioned, we, we talked about, we get the BRE, right? It's a lot of acronyms, right? It really is. <laughs> the BRE really is. is the bi- it's a Monday, I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, there's so many letters. And the BRE is the biennial revenue estimate. That's when the comptroller tells us, this is how much money you have. Okay. Um, and so once we get that, then the committees start meeting. They take some public input and committees, mm-hmm. um, start doing, they do it all by articles, right? Okay. So you'll hear a lot of Article 1, Article 2. That is just a reference to where in the Constitution these agencies, these, these subject matters belong to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start um, discussing it by article and they break it up and we have a lot of public comment. Then the committee comes up with a base budget, mm-hmm. um, which is the initial amount and it's get all the numbers. Then we go through the regular committee process, and it's passed out of committee, goes to the floor, goes to the other chamber, and passed out there, and then they reconcile the two differences in conference committee, 
and then we get a final budget and then the governor signs it uh he does have a light item veto so this will be a process that goes to the very very end even past session um to see what the final final budget will look like and then we start the cycle all over again got it so we can expect to see two proposals one from the house one from the senate and they need to be reconciled um now the budget writers in both chambers are both led by republicans right yeah, so there's still, you know, strong majorities of Republicans in, in both chambers, um, and the House Appropriations Committee um, is led by uh, Chairman Bonin, and the Senate Finance Committee is led by Senator Huffman. Both mm-hmm. of them are Republicans. Uh, they're the ones driving the train. Got it. And um, the reason this week is a big week is because the House budget proposal is the only version um, that gets amendments that are publicly debated. Is yeah, that it's a little complicated, but basically the Senate does a few amendments in committee, mm-hmm. um, but only members of that committee get to offer amendments Got and it. change the budget. And then once it gets to the Senate floor, they only answer questions. They don't do any amendments. They don't change it on the floor in the Senate by tradition. Uh-huh. It's not a rule, it's by tradition. On the House, on the other hand, they do some amendments on in committee, but then they also have what we call budget night. And that is the night that's happening this Thursday where they will debate 388 writers. Or at least that's what's been filed so far. That's Those were pre-filed. So far. That's uh-huh. right. Those are the pre-filed ones. Um, you know, uh, I think there's a deadline um, later today um, because they, they don't allow you to do it on the day of the floor because we would just be there you know, for weeks if sure. they allowed them to do that. <laughs> so they do require pre-filed amendments. Um, so far, we have 388. You, uh, for our listeners, you should know that a writer is basically an amendment, and the terms are kind of used interchangeably, but a writer is a reference to a budget amendment. It takes a ride on the budget. Got it. Okay. So when we're talking about a writer, that's what we mean. It's essentially an amendment. That's right. Uh, and then we, after budget night, we'll have the version from the House, and then that gets um, ironed out. The differences in those two proposals get ironed out in a non-public Hearing. Yeah, so it'll go to the Senate. Um, the Senate will vote out um, their version. They'll replace mm-hmm. the House version with the Senate version, mm-hmm. and then they'll get hired in a conference committee. And, um, and that process is not public. Um, and so the House Budget Night is, the, is really, like you said, the one opportunity to have a very public debate with all of the House members uh, discussing the priorities of the state. Got it. And uh, one extra little parameter here, if this uh, wasn't kind of windy and twisty enough, is legislators in Texas have to be mindful of our spending caps. Those severely limit their ability to spend all of that estimated $188 billion in general Mm -hmm. revenue that's expected to be available over the next um, couple of years to the next budget, uh, the surplus. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So we have the BRE, you know, cap, right? That's the amount of mm-hmm. money we have. Can't spend more than what we have. Then you have constitutional spending caps. Mm-hmm. That's what's in the Constitution. It says mm-hmm. that you can only go so far. And then we have statutory um, caps, which can be overridden by a majority of the members, but it is a political, you know, tough vote, for, especially for conservatives. So we have um, three layers of spending caps that, um, you know, kind of put some limitations on, on this whole process. Got it. Okay, so that's how the sausage is made. Shannon, at every Texan, we like to say, don't tell me your values, show me your budget. Yes. So fair to say that what the House values is property tax cuts, <laughs> if, we, if we're looking at the proposal that's being debated this week? Yeah, it looks that way. I mean, uh, I believe that the Senate and House versions both had about $15 billion or so kind of set mm-hmm. aside for property tax cuts. 
with uh, the specifics, you know, to be determined later. Um, and in fact, they've chosen to go different ways with their specifics of those tax cuts. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Senate has already buckled down and they've already passed their version of the tax cuts, which is a package of three bills, which um, generally speaking, um, it's, it's sort of it's sort of okay from our perspective, from every Texan's perspective, and then sort of not okay. Um, for a long time, our our tax person Dick Levine has been advocating for uh, ra for raising the uh, homestead exemption mm -hmm. by a flat amount instead uh -huh. of a percentage because we feel like it's a more equitable way mm -hmm. to bring you know property taxes down for folks. Yeah, why is that, that? Why is that though? Why do we think? Well, it's because more if you take a so if you if you just give everybody the same or you know you boost everyone's exemption by the same amount that affects everybody equally. Everyone gets the same gets the same benefit from that. Mm -hmm. If you do a percentage, well then you have a problem where people who own a lot more property or higher value property uh -huh. see more of a benefit from that. And that's inherently inequitable, I think. Right. Um, and, and for more on this, you can check out the um, perspective that we just released on oh. Friday that um, goes into depth about each of the tax cut proposals. Yeah, I uh, really recommend if you enjoy listening to this podcast, go to our website, everytexan.org, sign up for our weekly updates, the perspective, the point of order, the on the ground. Those give you more detailed information about how to digest um, some of the news that's coming out of the legislative session this year and also ways to get engaged if, if you're reading about something you want to get active on. Um, we help you figure out how to do that. Um, so uh, go ahead, Chan. So yeah, so um, so there's that. There's a, a flat dollar homestead exemption mm -hmm. raise, and that's that's okay. That's good. I think we support that. Um, but then they also compress uh, school district taxes, uh, property taxes for schools. Um, this is the House version. This is the this is the Senate, Senate version. Senate this version. is the Senate version Got they already it. passed. Okay. Um, and then there's also House a, has its own tax compression. Right. We'll talk about that in a second. Right. Exactly. So, but the Senate has one as well. Um, and there are a couple other little details in, in there that I won't go into. There's also a business tax cut. Um, and uh, and so, as I said, those have already passed. Uh, in the House side, on the other hand, they're really wrapped up in uh, a... Uh, appraisal uh, cap. Yeah, thank you, an appraisal cap. Um, currently, the appraisal cap from year to year is 10%. That means your property can't be appraised for any more than 10% over mm -hmm. what it was the previous year. They want to lower that to 5%. Oh, okay. Um, which is kind of bad for a number of reasons. I mean, it, it sort of, you know, distorts the market for one thing and, and leads to... Dick, Dick could tell you about this better than I can, but it leads to sort of the idea of tax havens because mm -hmm. it sort of further compresses property taxes that are already being compressed more than other property taxes. Um, so yeah, it has, it has equity issues and it has revenue issues. Right? Yeah, yeah. And by, by, revenue, by revenue issues, we're talking about compressing um, tax rates in a way that will prevent us from realizing revenue in future years. Yeah, and in this case, not the revenue, but the value of the homes, right? Yeah. So the value of the homes won't increase, so we'll end up getting less funds from houses that are worth way more than what they're being appraised at. And that, in turn, um, impacts our ability to fund a, a number of different things, yeah. but most importantly, our public schools. That's right. Yeah, okay. yeah. and I think they're really relying on the surplus that we have. To, they're pointing to that and saying, look at all this money we have. We need to implement these permanent tax cuts. Mm. And in fact, the, the, the surplus is not going to be permanent at all. You know, this is kind of a one-time deal based on, you know, higher than expected tax revenue, sales tax revenue, inflation, you know, all that has led to this big... Which, which the comptroller has warned of many, many times publicly. Yeah. I mean, he was like a broken record saying, hey, this is a one-time thing. 
do not expect to see this again in future years, much less this lifetime. This is really, really unusual. You should not treat this like a recurring feature. So the house budget proposal through um, school district property taxes, lowering school district property taxes, right, through compression, um, limiting the annual appraisal increases by um, lowering those to 5% instead of the current 10%. Um, and then there's also HB2, which is the Property Tax Relief Act. Mm -hmm. That combination would provide Texans with about $17 billion in property about tax that. Yeah, I think it's 17 okay. for the House. I think the Senate version is about 16 and a half billion. But yeah, they're, okay. they're in the same neighborhood. Okay. Um, so uh, that's something that benefits homeowners and landowners, many of whom, as we all are aware with the investor feeding frenzy right now live out of the state, right? right? Mm -hmm. So no exception, no carve-outs for those folks, right? Right. Okay. So this is a package that um, is uh, doesn't provide relief for renters. Is that fair? That's correct. Yeah. I see you yeah. nodding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, also benefits people outside of Texas. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then you you kind of touched on it a moment ago, but the difference between the Senate and the House packages, could you just lay that out one more time? Yeah, I mean, the main difference is this, uh, the appraisal cap in the House, mm -hmm. and they're really pushing for that, and then the uh, the flat dollar homestead exemption in the Senate. And you know, of the two, we prefer the Senate Senate version, I guess. Yeah. If something has to pass. Yeah. Um, I mean, in general, we're not, we generally don't support tax cuts because we feel like Texas is underinvested in its people for far too long. Right. And we're just, like I said a minute ago, we're just using this one-time surplus to continue that underinvestment you know, yeah. and to deepen it. And we're, um, I'm concerned about the impact on um, revenue for the future. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I read a thing by the Tax Policy Center, which is a national organization, um, saying that a lot of states are doing this right now. They're sort of falling into this trap of, of, of you know, earmarking this one-time surplus for permanent tax cuts that are really going to come back to bite lot of states yeah okay so the house budget proposal that's going to be debated on the floor this thursday also includes funding for the governor's border security initiative right yeah i believe that's about four yeah. and a half billion dollars spread across some different agencies dps and others um including uh i want to say it's uh maybe one billion for uh the governor's we, you know, it's it's sort of just like a, a, to be determined where you know what it what it goes to. It's not a, kind of up to the governor. It's very little accountability. That's slush fund. You thing. can say it. Oh, I can. You okay. can say That's it. What it is. It's the slushiest of slush funds. Um, yeah. So we're particularly against that, just because you know, there's no accountability. And, I mean, so many of these border security proposals, I think, are really just a red herring. And, yeah. Under unlike other types of public spending. Um, public school spending, for example, uh, no metrics on how that money should be used, what type of results it should produce, where it should go. It's just kind of there for the taking in a really amorphous way. Yeah. Okay. At Every Texan, we've been pushing for increased funding for public schools to at least help schools keep up with inflationary costs and the needs of um, the needs of the most at-risk students. Uh, we uh, this this year authored a joint report with the Texas AFT that showed Texas teachers are paid the same as they were 10 years ago when adjusting for inflation. An overwhelming majority of Texans favor full funding for public schools. You can see that sort of robust support across a number of different surveys from a number of different sources. How does the House budget do on that front? 
Well, so there, there's kind of a shell game going on, I think I would say, with public school funding because no. uh, <laughs> because you know the, the, the folks in the ledge I think are talking a lot about you know how much more they're giving to public ed. You know, like they're adding five billion at least to public ed is what they're saying. Okay. And there's some other things that they're talking about too that they're adding. <laughs> so by, it's, it's five sort of billion, which is essentially the same thing they're giving to border security. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, all right. But you know, point that's, that out. That, all that all that really is. Is kind of a reshuffling in the in in the share between local property tax and the state contribution. So the schools won't school actually end up getting. So this, exactly. So the basic allotment, which is kind of like the amount that we start with for each student, each, each school gets for each of their students, is been unchanged for since 2019, I believe. Yep. Um, you know, at, like you just kind of hinted at, you know, no adjustment for inflation. Mm -hmm. um, and so yeah, so schools aren't getting any more money. You know, they're not, and as I said, you know, we've been underinvesting and we're continuing to underinvest, and there's just this sort of shuffling around of dollars, but it's not really helping schools anymore to have that extra money. So state the state is increasing its share? Yeah, the state is increasing its share, but it just makes up for the, the property tax the, compression. That, right. So the school district, uh, the school district responsibility is lessening, state is increasing its share. So technically, state can say it's increasing funding. Um, for public schools, but the school districts themselves don't really feel any impact or reap any kind of benefit from that. Yeah, I think it's a messaging thing, you know. It sounds right. good. Sounds yeah, great. it's a great sound. It's a great sound bite, right? Yeah. It's like when my my son says that he cleaned his room, but actually he just shoved everything <laughs> under the bed. <laughs> um, all right, so. Um, this is really important because, um, you know, as Luis mentioned, amendments are allowed during the floor debate this week, but the rules, as I understand it, Luis, generally require that the money put into the budget during the floor debate have to be equal to the same amount um, coming out of another section of the budget. And so even if there's some debate around how much additional funding um, schools should get, there's procedurally there's not really any capacity left for schools to get more under this yeah proposal. the amount is, is the fair? amount right because of the BRE right. and, and the spending caps uh, you know they're you know they could tap into the stabilization fund but that's not really going to be the the process on the floor it's going to be about moving money around so yeah so we'd have to figure out ways to move the money either from the tax cuts or from the border security fund in order to increase the funding for education mm. So we've, we've also been pushing for raises for state workers this session. Um, our state agencies are incredibly underfunded. There's huge um, turnover and retention issues happening at our state agencies, and that in turn affects the quality of services that we as Texans receive from the state. I think the biggest example pe probably people can identify with publicly is where the is the total catastrophe that's happening in our foster care system, but it carries over to a multi many different aspects of our lives. Um, and we we did see some movement in the House proposal on that front, right? Yes, yeah, there's uh, there's actually, you know, it's, it's pretty good. Um, they have a 5% pay increase in 2024 and another 5% pay increase in 2025 hmm. uh, for state workers. Um, my wife, who works at UT, would not see such, a, such an increase because uh, uh, state university employees are not included in that. But that's cool, you know. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and I think so. It's, yeah, five percent. So it's up to six thousand um, dollars, or it's a minimum of six thousand uh, dollars raised for those folks. Um, so that's good. I mean, we like to see more. Uh, you know, we've been we've been trying to advocate for at least a seven or maybe even ten thousand raise for folks. Okay. Um, 
going forward, but yes. Yeah, and I just want to plug that every Texan um, with our partners is leading a campaign called Texans Together for Our Common Good. And if you want to use your voice and advocate um, for state workers to have um, increased salaries for them and their families, I highly encourage you to check out that campaign. Thanks for that. And I'll put the link to the campaign in the um, in this episode as well. Um, and I do want to talk to... Um, speak a little bit more to some of our advocacy efforts around the need for more community investments in a moment. Um, Before we get there, though, I don't want to lose sight of uh, what's known as the DEI rider to the House budget um, this week. Not Knight Rider, DEI rider. (laughs) Um, So just another another reminder, rider is an amendment to the budget, and this is one that I think uh, was filed last it was or in added. committee. It was, it was added, added yeah. in committee. committee unfortunately, okay. right on the last day, they, they voted it out, which is why a lot of the Democratic members ended up voting against it. Um, you know that you know and the underfunding of education, but the DEI writer was very controversial. Okay. So DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. These are efforts by universities to try to get more inclusion in faculty, improve school climate, um, improve um, you know the the racial conditions um, at our at our state universities um, and um, the governor and some of the leadership has really taken aim at it um, to exclude it and to defund it and there was a rider placed on it at the very last day that says um, that no state funding should go towards these programs. Mm, okay, so that puts um, schools that receive state funding in a position where they have to eliminate those programs in order to receive state funds. So really... Um, putting our institutions of higher ed in between a rock and a hard place. Um, And really a classic example of a theme that we've seen emerging this session, which is uh, really massive government overreach, um, interference into the way that um, our schools, our institutions of higher ed are making decisions, how we're making decisions in our homes, um, how we're making decisions at the local government level. Um, and uh, sounds like it's found found a way to rear its head into the budget debate as well. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that this, this session on cities, counties, universities, professors. Um, there are quite a few bills in the Senate as well, um, restricting and placing some censorship um, on public uh, on our state professors and universities. So a lot a lot riding on the debate on Thursday. Katie, for folks who want to follow along and track this issue, what can they expect from every Texan? on budget night and leading up to budget night this week. If folks want to um, track what's happening, if they want to get engaged, uh, what what are we offering for them? Yeah, so one, you're already doing the first thing, which is listening to this <laughs> podcast, um, getting the lowdown on what's happening on budget day, budget night. Um, also keep an eye on our different socials, so that's Facebook, especially our Twitter and Instagram page. Um, we will not be live tweeting the event, but we definitely will be sharing out information and resources as um, budget, as we lead up to budget day and then also th- throughout the course of that day. Um, as Louise plugged at the top of this call, we also have our point of order. Uh, We will be having a special one related to the budget this week as well as different calls to action that you can take to encourage your uh, representatives to make sure that they are um, funding the things that our Texas communities actually need. Um, And then if you want to get your popcorn ready, um, (laughs) the Texas House of Representatives shows all of their committee hearings, um, debates that are happening on the floor on their website. And so you can actually tune in and see the debate happen. I know that many 
many of the Every Texan staff members will be <laughs> tuning in um, and yeah, probably doing some live tweeting as well if you follow our <laughs> analyst online. Um, but yes, for, for this week coming up, um, keep an eye out on your email. Um, we'll have some more information, like I said, opportunities to take action, and then also make sure you're following us on our socials um, so you can keep up to date in terms of what's happening day of. Yeah, this is, um, you know, the budget is something that affects our day-to-day life in so many ways that we don't even appreciate um, right away. And this was really a a historic opportunity for Texas to make real investments in the long-term well-being of our people, in the long-term well-being of our economy. And what we ended up with instead this week is a big property tax cut cake with some additional spending is frosting around the edges. And as we've warned repeatedly, tax cuts may be great expenditures for political sound bites, but they're not so great for people because they're one-time expenditures that don't really give us any kind of return on investment over the long-term the way investments in, oh, I don't know, say education do. And we're in the midst of record high inflation, the wake of the pandemic, and what we see here is the standard return to tax cuts instead of investments in people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we're doing all we can on this front, Katie, but I'm truly, you're on the ground. What's it going to take for legislators to start bringing their spending in line with the priorities of everyday Texans? Uh, thanks for that question, Marisa. And as Louise kind of shared at the at the top of this conversation is that a lot of these decisions when it comes to the state budget are happening behind closed doors. Um, budget day, budget night in the House is one of the few opportunities that Texans can actually see how our state is going to be spending our money. And I want to reiterate again, that is our money. That is our tax dollars that are going to the state of Texas to fund um, different things that um, the state uses, the state needs. And again, when we think about that being our money, what do you want the state to be investing in? When we think about our families, our children, our communities, it's really, really imperative to make sure that the state is actually using this money for good, investing in our communities, instead of big tax cuts, um, militarizing the border. And so something that we have been working on at Every Texan over the past year is one really thinking about how our state's greatest resource is our people and in Texans from from Beaumont to El Paso, Lubbock, down to um, the Rio Grande Valley. And so when we think about all of these Texans coming together, again, we should have a say in how this money is being made. And for far too long, these decisions have been happening behind closed doors um, by the powerful few. And so we really want to start pushing a a future forward where where the state of Texas is actually investing in our people. And so with that, um, we've been talking to lots of folks about this, but we are launching the People's Budget. And the People's Budget aims to establish a people-centered policy agenda for our state that also engages and mobilizes the power of everyday Texans. And again, the People's Budget really focuses on community investments that the state of Texas can make for the people of Texas. And so when we think about what community investments the state can be making, we're thinking about things that um, allow better access to quality affordable health care, secure nutritious food, making sure that our kiddos are attending fully funded, honest and safe um, places of learning, um, that every Texan has an opportunity um, to, to have access to a quality higher education, our workers have dignity, that we have a fair and equitable tax system. Honestly, the 
list goes on and on, but I think these are all things that Texans can kind of come around the kitchen table to agree with that, yes, we all deserve health care. Yes, our kids deserve a, a safe and honest education. Um, and so with that in mind, as I stand on my soapbox, um, I highly encourage y'all to head to our website and check out the People's Budget. This is a long game strategy. Um, budget night is a few days away. Um, we will be making lots of noise and, and ensuring that the legislator, again, is focusing on the people of Texas. But we also want to think long term about how we as Texans can really envision the best state for all of us. And so um, I encourage all of you all uh, to come on this journey with us and make sure that the voices of everyday Texans are heard. Thank you for that, Katie. And we'll put that link in the episode description um, today as well. And I think we're really excited about this initiative at Every Texan because every session we get to this point, you know, halfway through session and we have these budget proposals that leave all of the needs that we work on so closely at this organization unmet across the state. And the idea here is how can we build a larger movement to create some momentum so that next session um, there's a little bit more resistance to just falling back um, into the same uh, property tax cut mm -hmm. habits and um, try to focus on, on the needs of Texans across the state, especially in the, the current uh, economic climate. Um, so thanks for that. And hey, if you liked this episode, if this was something that was helpful and informative to you, help us by sharing this episode, follow the podcast and share it with a friend who you think might want to do the same. And we will see you on budget night. And that wraps up our podcast for today. Thanks to our guests. And as always, check out everytexan.org for more information about our work and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.